You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. Today on the podcast, we're going to be looking at a different approach to double knocks. WA-based Farmanco agronomist Mark Lawrence will share with us the benefits of double paraquat and some other strategies his clients in the medium to high rainfall zone in WA Southwest region are using. And we're also going to be learning about BASF's new group G herbicide Viraxor. BASF Technical Development Manager Ian Francis will join us to tell us more about their new Group G pre-emergent broadleaf weed herbicide and how it can fit into farming systems. So we'll hear about that in detail as well. But my co-host Pete Newman does join me. How are you going, Pete? I'm very well, Jess. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing really well. But there's been lots of rain in WA, which is putting probably lots of growers uh, behind with their harvest. I can't believe how much rain we've had. How are you? Yeah, we've had... Yeah, three cold fronts in November, Jess. We are potentially on track for it to be Geraldton at least, wettest November on record. Wow. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get there because it'll mean it rains again. But yeah, it's been pretty annoying. But still, the wheels are turning again, I think, out there. Hopefully it doesn't cause too many problems for our grain quality. Yeah, fingers crossed. And how about you? What else have you been up to, Pete? Uh, well, Surf Club has started, Jess, and I am the Nippers Coordinator for the Geraldton Surf Club, which means it is basically like organising a school sports day every Sunday. Wow, that's a lot to <laughs> take yeah. on. So, yeah, it's, it's good. You know, a couple of hundred kids turn up, and we've got barbecues, and we've got gear to set up, and we've got all the age groups doing all their different activities, so really great to be in the surf club. Very Pretty cool. exhausting Sunday morning, but yeah, I love it. It's really good to see. That's awesome. And yeah. the rain interrupted our first one, Jess, our first nippers. We didn't even go in the water because it was raining. Oh, wow. Normal. But anyway, yeah, we're back into it now. And how about you, Jess? You've been a little bit laid up this year with your surgery and so on. Have you found any other ways to pass the time? Yeah, well, I've mentioned, I think, on the podcast already, I've been getting into my swimming, so I've plateaued a bit with that, but I've not plateaued with my sewing, so that's another one of my hobbies. I'm about to finish my first top from scratch using a pattern from the 1980s. (laughs) So, very exciting weekend that I had. But, yeah, that's been really good. You've got to find creative outlets when you're uh, in a position like if you've had a surgery or something, and, yeah, I've actually got quite good, so it's exciting. (laughs) Fantastic, and 80s fashion's coming back in by the sound of it. Yeah, it's a great top. I'm sure I'll get lots of compliments when it's complete. But let's get into the subject matter of the podcast today. We're going to be talking about Voraxor first, which is the new Group G out of BASF, and we're going to be hearing from Ian Francis. Pete, there is lots of new modes of action and herbicide technology coming out in the next few years. Why is it so important for us to be across these new herbicides? products, Pete? Yeah, well, obviously, as agronomists and farmers, we really need to know where they fit and how to use them, but we sort of need to answer the question why we're using the new products, Jess, and uh, I guess Ian goes into that in this interview, sort of telling us which weeds to target and where it all fits in, in the equation, and of course, it's part of our Weed Smart Big Six mix and rotate strategy, Jess, so if we get to know the new products, we can work out how to mix and rotate them to get the most out of them in terms of the short term, but also in terms of maintaining their use for a long time by slowing down the evolution of resistance through that mix and rotate strategy, Jess, along with all the other Weed Smart Big Six tools. So, yeah, obviously, there's a lot of new information to take on, let's put it that way, when you 
products come out. We've got a lot of new products all at once. So, yeah, farmers and agronomists are, are grappling with that at the moment. Yeah, so we're hoping to provide some information around these new products that are coming out that will be helpful and, and stick. So let's take a listen to this interview with Ian Francis. He is the Technical Development Manager for BASF and he joins us to tell us all about it. Let's take a listen. In this interview, we're catching up with BASF Technical Development Manager Ian Francis to learn more about their new herbicide, Viraxor. Viraxor is a new Group G pre-emergent broadleaf weed control product, which can be used on wheat, durum and barley. It can also suppress annual ryegrass in lighter soils. Ian joins us to tell us more about Viraxor and how it can fit into farming systems. How are you going, Ian? Yeah, I'm going really well, thank you, Jess. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, we're going to talk about Viraxor today, but firstly, can you just let us know how it actually came about? What was the process? Yeah, sure. So, Viraxor is very exciting for us. And you know, BASF's got a very strong, I guess, history in herbicide research and a real strong knowledge around the PPO chemistry. And, and this is a Group G uh, product that we're talking about today. And, you know, that was something that BASF identified that this is a, a mode of action, I guess, that's, that's underutilised currently and that you know, we have a lot of things that, that are going on within the marketplace that are really um, challenges I suppose for growers you know particularly around herbicide resistance and particularly glyphosate and we really need some new options for residual broadleaf control and through that research program we really identified that there were certain physical and chemical properties that we needed for new molecules to allow registration and also performance so I guess you put all of those things together into a big mixing pot and the results of that research was, was a brand new molecule. And that's, that's always exciting. Mm. And that new molecule's sort of really complementary to some of our existing tools that we have. And I guess combined, that makes up Viraxor. And, and you know, Viraxor contains two active ingredients. And those together are really going to help us uh, deal with a lot of issues that we have in Australia. Yeah, it's very exciting. So what settings is Viraxor best used in, Ian? Yeah, well, Viraxor, it's got a few strings to its bow. Look, first and foremost, as you said in the introduction, it's a pre-emergent herbicide for residual control of broadleaf weeds in the winter cereals. So, you know, that's, that's where this product really front and centre sits. Uh, and, you know, because of the complementary nature of the two active ingredients that are in that product, it can provide up to 12 weeks of residual control of a really wide spectrum of broadleaf weeds. So, you know, that, that's really its, its place in the market. And then you know, it's got all these other additional pieces as well. And you mentioned the assistance in annual ryegrass control, and that's you know, got some caveats around lighter soils and moisture, but that's going to be very useful to the marketplace. And then we also have the additional benefit of, uh, on top of these residual claims, around the strong burn-down activity that we have from this product, so it's a really wide spectrum of weeds as well. So you really see you get this product that's got, I guess, uh, a number of different use patterns and, and, and abilities to really help manage a quite a vast array of uh, problems that growers face at the moment. Yeah, excellent. So without getting too bogged down into the super technical details, it's always interesting to hear about how products actually work. Could you give us a bit of a brief overview of how Viraxol is actually working? Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess I touched on before, there's two active ingredients in Viraxol and they're really complementary in both their spectrum um, so that you know the biology, the weeds that they control, but also in their physical chemical properties. So that's you know I guess how the, the products would either uh, work in the environment or work inside the plant. So both of these two active ingredients are PPO inhibitors or Group Gs as we call them in Australia. And you know 
the group G herbicides, they really uh, interrupt photosynthesis. So in green plant tissue, in the presence of light, so sunlight, uh, those products are uh, causing the plant to produce compounds that really burn through tissue. And that's why you see this rapid burning of foliage and then the subsequent sort of, uh, death of those plants. So if we apply Viraxor directly to plants, so in the burn-down type situation, now it's taken up by the plant and you know, where the photosynthesis within that plant is taking place, uh, that drives that reaction. But, and where we're putting it in the residual soil um, scenario, the product is applied to the soil surface and then as weeds um, begin their germination, they'll come into contact with that product and that they absorb that herbicide and they're quickly controlled and they often don't even emerge, you don't even see them. Yeah, right, amazing. Okay, mm. so how does the suppression of annual ryegrass work? That's one of the things we mentioned as well. How does that work? Again, we talked about two active ingredients being in this product and they're being very complementary. And this is a great example of that. So one of those two actives has uh, more grass activity than the other and together they're better than either one of those two alone. So you've got that complementary action. So most of the ryegrass activity is coming from the least mobile of the two actives, so the one that doesn't move particularly well in soil. And we see that because of that, the conditions where we get the annual ryegrass suppression are those conditions that do allow some movement to get the herbicide to the ryegrass. So the conditions that would favour that or favour that kind of relatively immobile active light soils or soils with, I guess we call light soils, soils with uh, sand contents of greater than 50% and with good soil moisture conditions. So once you have those two things, you've got the ability to get this active ingredient to that ryegrass plant and then you can see that we can start to get that control or that, or that suppression of annual ryegrass. But I think you know, we've got to be really clear here. We don't see Viraxor as a new standalone ryegrass product, but clearly there are situations where this product is providing you know, really great assistance to controlling ryegrass. And if we mix this product with our traditional true grass pre-emergent herbicides, we see a you know, real consistent bump in the activity of these products or of those products in the mixture versus those products alone. It's adding a really great tool. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so, Ian, you kind of mentioned there's quite a range of weeds which can be controlled or suppressed with Viraxor. Can you just talk a little bit more to what weeds you can actually target with Viraxor, just so people are, are aware? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I won't name every individual weed because there's quite a few of yeah. them. But <laughs> for, for, for the, you know, residual broadleaf weed control, so the the real meat, I guess, of this product. In our initial registration, I think there's 16 or so weeds, so there's quite a few there. But really, as you would expect, a lot of our key cropping weeds are, are on our label, and they will include things like wild radish, wireweed, um, capeweed, pleadane, milk thistle, hedge mustard, and fumitory. So, yeah, a really broad spectrum of weeds, and a lot of those are real problem weeds, as you would know. And they're across various different plant families, I guess. So you can see it's, you know, it's very broad spectrum in its, in its control. And then in, in addition to the, the residual control of the broadleaves, you know, we, we have this suppression claim that we just talked about for annual ryegrass. So you know, that, that's on the label with those specific requirements around soil type and moisture. And then again, in addition to the residual control, you have this burn down segment and, and you know, there's, there's an even more extensive list of weeds. I think there's uh, 30 odd different weeds that are on the label. It wow. includes um, grasses and broadleaf weeds. 
that's going to be a really, you know, this is going to be a really fantastic tool for that. And in particular, I guess I should mention glyphosate-resistant weeds as well, uh, particularly glyphosate-resistant ryegrass. There's specific claims around those as well. So, you know, you can see that, you know, this is an exciting product from, from many different kind of angles. Definitely. Now, the Weed Smart Big Six, we promote mixing of herbicides and, yeah, not using, you know, the one product over and over again uh, and mixing it up. What options do farmers have when it comes to tank mixes with Viraxor? Yeah, so from a tank mix perspective, from a pre-emergent herbicide point of view, you can tank mix with the, with the grass herbicide that we might already be using in our systems. So grass pre-emergent herbicides, Phosphoraxor, provides fantastic control of both grasses and then the addition of the broadleaf wheat. In saying that, you obviously have to meet the conditions of the labels of, of those other products. So, for instance, some of our grass pre-emergent herbicides aren't registered for use in barley, where Veraxor is. So you have to be careful which one you select, that you, you select the, the appropriate mix partner for, for your crop and your situation. But as long as you're meeting the, the label requirements of both products, you can mix those together. And then in the, in the knockdown segment, you can certainly, paraquat and glyphosate-based herbicides provide fantastic uh, mix partners and fantastic results. Okay, great to hear. And BASF have done a range of trials on this product. What were some of your key findings from these trials, Ian? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> There's a lot of trials and a lot of years, but, but I think just to, to touch on a few, I guess one of the great things about this product is we've seen this for, for quite a few years in Australia. And we've seen you know, really robust residual control of broadleaves over a wide range of conditions over many years. So you know, dry starts, wet years, and everything in between, we've, we've got real confidence in its performance. So I think that, that's certainly one of the key pieces. Another that we talked on is you know, the ability to mix with the grass pre-emergence and to get this kind of cross-spectrum grass broadleaf control and really to, to assist in the grass activity of, of those products as well, of, of ryegrass activity. That's been really key. And then I guess the other one is in the knockdown segment, really helping out on targeting glyphosate-resistant ryegrass, so, so emerged glyphosate-resistant ryegrass. That's been fantastic work, and I think that's going to be a, another great tool for growers, you know, particularly mixtures with paraquat. We see that as you know, almost a, a liquid dynamite. You know, it's, just, it's very, very impressive and um, I think that's going to be a, a big part of this product as well. Yeah, great. Okay, so are there any negative, potential negative effects which can occur when using Raxor, for example, on the crop? Is there anything that growers mm-hmm. need to be aware of? Yeah, with all of our pre-emergent herbicides, there are label conditions that you have to follow and things like with our product, with Raxor, uh, using the IBS system, so it's not registered for use with, with disc seeders and uh, and that's an important that we follow those label directions. But yeah, you know, we've found this product to be very safe in cereals as long as you're following the label directions. I guess a key point I would make is if you're mixing it with a partner herbicide, you need to make sure that you can, you're considering the label directions for the partner as well. Some of those products will have specific requirements, whether it's the amount of time you, you need to, to incorporate by sowing after application or sowing depth, for instance, you need to make sure that you're meeting those conditions. And I guess our final kind of uh, comment on on crop safety is that most of the pre-emergent herbicides that we're using in our systems at the moment require a level of physical separation. So, you know, our knife point press wheel kind of system has been designed really 
to facilitate these herbicides. If you're adding more and more herbicides in the tank and you're putting those in, in, in front of your crop, that there's an even higher need for that to ensure that you get good separation of herbicides away from the crop. So I think, yeah, in summary, use these products as per their label statements and you should have no problems. Okay, great. That's good to hear. Now, mm. what do growers need to consider to preserve this herbicide for the long term? Yeah, so Varexor is, you know, it's exciting, it's new, but we have to look after it. And the great thing that Varexor is going to do for farmers here in Australia is provide a mode of action that we're really underusing in our systems and we're certainly not using it in the use pattern that, that Varexor will be used. So I think, yeah, that that's a fantastic thing, but, you know, we, we have to preserve that. And, and, and the big fix that, that Weedsmart obviously promotes, you know, of course, that's that's something that we... We have to pursue. Uh, history tells us that you know, any new tool we have, we've got to be sensible with. For Axel's no different to that. So, you know, rotation of chemistry, rotation of crops, harvest weed seed management, ground cover, all of those things have to go into the mix to, to really make sure that we don't burn this kind of technology or any, or any of our other technology that's still working. The other thing to probably add is, a, you know, the pretty obvious place in terms of pre-emergence or post-emergence for certain modes of action. And, you know, Group G in a pre-mode of action, it makes a lot of sense. I think it really helps preserve our other post-emergent options. Okay, so one final question for you, Ian. Uh, what plant-back intervals do growers need to observe with Varaxor? Yes, yeah, so that's important. So, you know, obviously we're providing pretty robust, long residual control of broadleaf weeds. So there are going to be some plant-back intervals, as you would expect. But I think if you're using Varaxor as a pre-emergent in cereals, you've got a really good ability to get back into pretty much most of crops that you would be looking to sow the following year. So for crops like chickpeas, field peas, mung beans, favours, lentils and sorghum, it's a six-month plant back. So six months from the time of application of the residual rates, back around. And then it's slightly longer for canola, cotton, sunflowers, and safflower and any other crops that we, we haven't got on the label, there's a nine-month plant back. So if you're using it in front of a cereal, it's nine months around and then you can basically go back and do any crop you like. Perfect. And Ian, is there anything else you'd like to add about Varaxor before we wrap things up? Look, I think it's obviously a very exciting product. It's very visual in terms of its activity from a burn-down point of view. I think people will be really impressed with that. But I think really... You know, we've got a great opportunity here to bring a new product in and really get on top of some problem weeds, particularly around resistance. I think the uh, the ability to get in and get on top of broadleaf weeds from a residual point of view, and then all of the other benefits we've seen, we've talked about with annual ryegrass, both burn down and residual suppression. This is going to have a fantastic fit. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for giving us so much information about Varaxor and how it can fit into farming systems. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much. Thank you so much to Ian Francis from BASF there, giving us quite a comprehensive rundown on what to expect out of Varaxor, their new Group G herbicide. And Pete, Group Gs, they're a bit of the flavour of the month. We've been talking about them quite a bit uh, through Weedsmart. We've had some webinars over the last couple of weeks and we've talked about them quite a lot this year. Why are they coming back into popularity, Pete? 
Yeah, it's a good question, Jess. I mean, we've had a few Group Gs over the years that we've got to know a little bit, but we seem to have quite a suite of them coming now all of a sudden, which is great. It's really utilising chemistry that we haven't used much of in the past, to be honest. I remember years ago, maybe 15 years ago, going to a presentation by a guy from one of the big chemical companies, and he told us, I reckon at the time, that something like even a quarter of the world's herbicides were Group Gs. I might have that wrong, but it, it was a lot. I just remember thinking at the time, gee, there's a lot of Group Gs in the world, obviously in other crops in other parts of the world. Yeah. And I think we're just starting to see the development of those products into Australia and into other crops, Jess. But, yeah, BASF have stated in the interview that there's some new chemistry in, in this new product, Baraxor. And so, yeah, I just think we've just seen a lot of development in that area by the companies. And, and they're going to give us some solutions that Group Gs haven't offered in the past, and namely, it seems uh, that broadleaf residual weed control is going to be very valuable. Yeah, very exciting. And Varaxor, it will be available for the 2021 season. So just so you're aware, if it's something you're thinking about including in your program, it will be available next year. But Pete, moving on, we're going to be up next chatting with Mark Lawrence. He's an agronomist with Farmanco, and he's going to be talking to us about double paraquat and clients that he has who are using this strategy as a double knock. Now, this was uh, an insight that you got recently by having a chat with Mark. Can you just tell us a little bit about this strategy and and what makes it different to a, a standard double knock process that you'd go through? Yeah, Jess. So we're talking about using two shots of paraquat in sequence before, say, a Roundup-ready canola crop. And obviously we have to be, be careful with messages like this because, you know, we're using the same herbicide twice. It's the sort of thing we've recommended against in the past because we're worried, obviously, about paraquat resistance if we sort of overdo it. But talking to Mark and some other growers using this practice, it really seems like it can fit well in the right situation. And what you hear from Mark is that two shots of paraquat before a Roundup-ready canola and then two shots of Roundup in the crop. So if we did the old double-knock glyphosate, or not the old, but the normal double-knock glyphosate followed by paraquat, then Roundup-ready canola, that crop would get three glyphosates and one paraquat for the year. Whereas doing the double paraquat, then the Roundup-ready canola, it's two paraquats and two glyphosate. And it is all on the same population, it's all in sequence. So, you know, I don't think we want to overdo the recommendation of double paraquat all around the country is the answer to Roundup resistance, if you like. But in certain situations, like we'll hear from Mark, it can be a really good viable alternative. All right, let's take a listen. In this interview, we're chatting with WA-based Farmanco agronomist Mark Lawrence. He's going to share with us some benefits of double paraquat and other strategies his clients in the medium to high rainfall zone in WA's southwest region are using and having a win with. And he joins us now. How are you going, Mark? Uh, yeah, going well, Jess. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, we just want a little bit of background about you before we get into this topic. Can you just tell us a little bit about where you practice agronomy and what it's like? I'm based out of Cojanup and I call Cojanup a hub. I cover an area from East Jaramunga through to Boyup Brook and this is in the medium to high rainfall area of the south coast and great southern of Western Australia. Okay, great. And so that area, it has that medium to high rainfall and uh, in the southwest, it's traditionally been livestock or a mixed farming area and ryegrass grows really well in that area. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your clients that you work with and, and who are continuously cropping in this area and what they're doing in that regard? You're right. It has traditionally been a livestock slash mixed farming area and ryegrass has been a spectacular feed source for the sheep farmers. There are still a lot of mixed farmers in the area, though there are some farmers that are moving down the continuous cropping pathway. Yeah, one point that I probably should raise is some of the mixed farmers are continuously cropping part of their better cropping areas while running sheep in those areas that are probably not suitable for cropping. So, yeah, some of the even mixed farmers are continuous cropping part of their program. Yeah, interesting. And can you paint a little bit of a picture in terms of what rotations they're running? Besides pasture, canola, barley and wheat are the dominant crops that are grown through here. Um, canola is the main break crop, but there's also some favour beans as well as lupins that are grown in the more suitable paddocks that are uh, creeping into the rotation through this area. All right, Mark, so when it comes to Roundup Ready or other glyphosate-tolerant canola, this is a key part of the rotation for some of your growers and other growers in the region. How often is it grown and, and where does it fit into the rotation? Roundup Ready definitely is a key part of the rotation for some of my growers. I have some growers that solely grow Roundup Ready canola, but I also have some growers that grow it strategically as an agronomic tool in rotation with some of their other canolas, such as the TT lines and Clearfield lines. Probably the area of Roundup Ready canola has dropped a little bit over the last couple of years, mainly due to the price spread between uh, Roundup Ready canola and your normal conventional price canola. There's also yeah, a little bit higher costs, obviously, of growing the upfront costs of growing the Roundup Ready crop, just mainly with seed costs. I think the other reason the Roundup Ready crops backed off a little bit is I think there's been a, a slight hiccup in breeding in the transition from the Roundup Ready 1 system to the Roundup Ready 2 system, which is called your TruFlex system. So I think there has been a little bit of, of a hiccup in the breeding there, which has allowed some of the, the TT hybrids to really pull ahead and close the gap in yield between them and the Roundup Ready lines. Right, okay, Mark. And what is different about the knockdown prior to sowing Roundup Ready canola that you advise on using? This is sort of the guts of what we're going to talk about today. What's different about the knockdown you're advising? Yeah, look, in the Roundup Ready system, I'm generally leaning to using more paraquat up front over glyphosate. Depending on the rainfall and the time of sowing of the Roundup Ready canola, there can be up to two hits of paraquat pre-canola, which is obviously referred to probably as your double knock with paraquat. And it does go against the more traditional glyphosate followed by paraquat strategy, but you have to remember that there's a number of passes of glyphosate post-emergent in Roundup Ready canola, so protecting glyphosate at all costs is fairly important, I think, in, in the Roundup Ready system. Okay, that makes sense. And how are these two hits of paraquat working? Uh, yeah, generally pretty good. You need to make sure with paraquat that the weeds are more and you also need coverage so high water rates are important obviously using paraquat yeah try and get farmers when they're using their double knocker paraquat to spray when paraquat works the best which is generally on a cloudy day or late arvo or into the evening depending on what else they've got in the mix with paraquat in these conditions yeah the other benefit of paraquat is that it's got quite short rain fastness which can be important in the high rainfall areas 
and it also has a, a quite quick time to sewing when you're using it or mixing it with pre-emergence and it's also got very good compatibility. Okay, and how far apart are the applications of the two hits of Paraquat? Uh, look, it does vary a little bit, but yeah, the goal with Paraquat is just to make sure that your weeds are quite small. I do find that the double hit of Paraquat is good on weeds where you've got a fairly high stubble loading and you might get shading or even proximity shading from other weeds. So yeah, the Paraquat actually yeah, with shading can make the knockdown a little bit safer, I find. Yeah, sometimes in the system, the Roundup Ready canola system, you may not always get a double knock with Paraquat. And yeah, some of the better farmers or canola growers are generally wrapped up by the end of April. So the timing might not always apply or con- coincide with the double knock strategy. So I do find one thing about getting a canola away early in the high rainfall areas, yeah, just the, the early vigour does help when things do get a little bit cold and waterlogged in some years in this area. So, yeah, getting your canola crop away early is the key just for early weed competition, I think, sometimes in the, in the Great Southern and high rainfall areas. And are there any weeds that get through with this approach? Yeah, there, there definitely are some weeds that do get through. Unfortunately, obviously, paraquat is all contact, so yeah, coverage and weed size is important. Probably the biggest weed issue I, I see using just paraquat is cape weed, and a few people out there would know that paraquat is actually quite weak on cape weed, so you generally need to add a spike to paraquat if you've got large amounts or you've got cape weed there that you're trying to knock down or or even if there is high numbers, you might have to revert to glyphosate in the double knock if um, cape weed numbers are, are higher or too big. But I have found that the double knock of paraquat is not too bad on smaller radish, volunteer canola. Right. And also nightshade. So there is some benefits, I think, and quicker brownout with paraquat over glyphosate. That's good to know. And Mark, what about pre-emergent herbicides? Are you using one of these in front of canola? Yeah, all of my clients that I consult to use a pre-emergent in front of canola in the medium to high rainfall area. The strategy or pre-emergent strategy does vary, but the whole aim is to take pressure off the post-emergent herbicides that are applied in crops. And what's your approach to post-ems in canola, Mark? we're talking about the Roundup Ready canola system, you've obviously have your normal glyphosate passes post-emergent. Look, I have also been trying to help glyphosate out a little bit by adding clethodim alongside the glyphosate as another mode of action, just to take a bit of pressure off the glyphosate in the Roundup Ready system. And with your clients who are using this approach, is harvest weed seed control part of the system as well? Yeah, it is always a Discussion point, Jess. Yeah, chaff carts have probably been the main form of harvest weed control in this area, uh, especially with um, livestock in the system. Uh, there has been a little bit of chaff lining, but yeah, lately there's been more and more interest in the in the seed destructors that are available now. So I think that's going to change the landscape a little bit in terms of harvest um, weed management through this uh, higher rainfall and medium rainfall area that I cover. So normally we talk about the double knock being glyphosate followed by paraquat, as you've mentioned already, but in your case, a lot of growers are using two paraquats pre and then two glyphosates post. 
why does this strategy work and how do you see it fitting into a resistant weed management plan? Yeah, I've had clients aiming for a double paraquat, not for a while now in front of Roundup Ready Canola. Obviously, as I said before, it doesn't always work that you do get a double knock, but at least one good knock of paraquat. Yeah, if you think about it, the first pass of glyphosate is always quite early in the Roundup Ready system. And this usually happens around the cotyledon to tea leaf stage of the crop. So there's, there is not a, a very big gap between the paraquat in the knockdown at seeding and the first pass of glyphosate post. So I assume you could look at it as more like a reverse to the traditional knock, where if there is any survivors of the weeds to the paraquat pre-emergence, then hopefully it should be tidied up by the glyphosate that's applied not long after after sowing, as long as it's a lethal dose. But uh, yeah, one of my clients has been using this technique for a while now and they're very proactive with their resistance testing at harvest. And yeah, so far in this system where they're quite tight with their Roundup Ready canola, um, there hasn't been any known resistance to glyphosate or paraquat when sent off for resistance testing. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's good to know. So, I guess this approach could work in other areas where there's similar conditions, other medium to high rainfall zones, would you think? And and would your advice be to just keep on top of resistance testing and ensuring that you're mixing and rotating? Would that be kind of the message, Mark? Yeah, look, probably, yeah, in, in summary, I'll probably say that I don't always use a double knock of paracord. I, I, I think the traditional knock of glyphosate followed by paraquat is still the normal strategy but in some systems especially if you're quite reliant on glyphosate and the roundup ready system is one of those systems um yeah probably just thinking about your knockdown strategy is quite important so i think you could apply this um to some other areas and i presume that possibly happening especially in the roundup ready system but um yeah i think it's important that you continue to follow up your strategy by maybe continued resistance testing at harvest and making sure you're using other resistant management approaches, which is obviously on the WeedSmart website. Yeah, all the WeedSmart big six exactly, Mark. And we have covered a lot in this interview and it's a really interesting area. It's a bit different what uh, your clients are doing in these systems. Thank you so much for giving us so much information about this approach. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Thanks, Jess. It was good to have a chat about it. Thank you so much to Mark Lawrence for joining us on the podcast, chatting about double paraquat and uh, that process he uses with some of his clients who are in the medium to high rainfall zones. And Pete, it's not just about using this double paraquat approach. There's a range of other tools, obviously, that are used within the WeedSmart Big Six framework that make this a sustainable and viable option. What are your thoughts on this after listening to the interview, Pete? Yeah, Jess, we sort of set this up as the double paraquat interview, didn't we? But when you listen to it, it's the mix and rotate package for Roundup Ready Canola. So Mark talked about double paraquat with a pre-em for ryegrass, then obviously the glyphosating crop, and one of those glyphosates is mixed with clethodim. So that is, what have we got? One, two, three, four different herbicides at least on, on the ryegrass, on one population of ryegrass. 
So that is a great mix and rotate strategy rather than, you know, the alternative is you could use one, couldn't you? You could use glyphosate pre and then glyphosate in crop and shut the gate. Whereas Mark's really talking about a robust mix and rotate strategy, combining that with harvest weed seed control uh, and good competition from those uh, often hybrid canolas, Roundup Ready canola. So, yeah, I think a really good story about how to think about mix and rotate strategy in combination with some of those other Weed Smart Big Six strategies, Jess. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again to Mark there. And that wraps up all our interviews for today. Thank you again to Ian Francis from BASF and to Mark Lawrence just then from Farmanco. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and sign up for our monthly blog, The Weed Smart Whip Around as well. That way you'll never miss any of our content. We've also got new content on the website. We've got a new Ask an Expert, which is with New South Wales DPI soil scientist, Dr Mick Rose, and he is answering the question, how can I be certain that herbicide residues in the soil have fully degraded at planting? So that's a good one to have a read of. Don't forget, we will have the regional update next Monday. And we also have both of our Group G, very topical, both Group G webinars that we have run over the last couple of weeks. They are both now available on our website. I'll provide the links to those in the podcast notes. One was covering Southern Systems with Dr Chris Preston and our latest one was with Andrew Somervale covering Northern Farming Systems and Group G's. So I'll put the links up for those too. And lastly, we'd love for you to share the Weed Smart podcast with your friends. You can let them know that they can find us on their podcast app of choice and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for joining me, Pete. Thanks, Jess.